The legal views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute or contain legal advice. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella. Here with me, my co-host, Dave. How's it going, Dave? I'm doing great, Ryan. How you doing? I'm doing great as well. Um, we just did our first episode last week. We're on number two now. That first one went so well. We got so much good feedback from all the people out there. It, it, I'm in a good mood. Um, I'm in a great mood. I honestly did not think that... I, I thought episode one was going to have all sorts of technical problems and stuff was going to explode and it, it went smoothly, and now we're on to number two, and uh, we're all systems go. The only real technical difficulty we've had is when we walked into the studio today, and there was a lizard sleeping on our mixing board. Yes, and that was unfortunate because, you know, I, I, I hired Larry to, you know, make thing, make sure everything was nice and clean oh, oh. in here. And to say that we found him sleeping, it was very, it's a big disappointment Oh, so, to me. so you knew about the lizard. You actually hired him to work in the studio while we weren't here. Yes, Ryan. He's Larry the Lizard. I don't see what's really confusing about this. Well, now I feel bad because I sort of yelled at him and told him to get out. And I didn't know that you invited him. And that, that's my fault. Yes. Larry Ryan apologizes profusely. Um, I hope he's okay with it. He may want to raise right now. So. <laughs> No, well, no. I, I will pay Larry double what we make uh, for this podcast. <laughs> oh, great. So two of whatever he eats. That's right. <laughs> um, so good news about the show, everybody. Um, we are now on iTunes. Um, yes. I think, yeah, that's that's warranted. We made it to the big time, the big leagues, iTunes. Yeah, we, we got past the uh, the iTunes review gatekeeper. Wow, I, I, that studio audience, that's a... That's a hard button. To, I can't get it to fade out. It's always like, eh, like it's always like, uh, you know, it's going, it's going, and then, well. <laughs> what button are you talking about, Ryan? Oh, sorry, the studio audience that's in here. Yes, um, that Larry the Lizard warmed up earlier before uh, we came in. But no, this is great news. Uh, so now you can log on to iTunes. Um, you can find, you can subscribe to us right on the uh, podcasts app. You go to Break the Business Podcast. There we are. You subscribe. You can listen to us each week. New episodes every Monday. Yeah. Uh, coming up on the show today, um, after after the break in the next uh, segment, we have one of my favorite indie artists ever. Um, not only do I love her music, but you know we're we're good friends, and I think as a person, she is just a wonderful human being. Um, Mary Jennings is going to be on the show. Um, she's a singer songwriter from Nashville, Dave, and a horror movie enthusiast. I saw that when I was uh, doing some research on her, and uh, it should be pretty interesting. We'll probably get to talk to her about like some movies and everything like yeah. that um you know losing Wes Craven this past week we'll probably yeah. want to go into that um she's so nice Dave um I think once you get to meet her you're just gonna admire her so much and she'll be so friendly to you and to us and I'm just so excited to have her on the show well the songs I've listened to are absolutely great so I'm I'm sure it's going to be amazing. Oh, yeah. We're going to play a song from her uh, latest release, Metamorphosis. The song is going to be This Means War. Um, and you guys are all going to love it. Um, so here's the thing, Dave. I had um, prepared on the show sheet. I had about a five-minute segment ready to go on Canadian copyright law. There was an incident in Canada involving um, sound recordings from the Beatles. Um, and what you told me before the show started is I need to scrap this uh, segment or this uh, this thing I had that I worked on, I researched. 
You have now told me I need to scrap it entirely because you are super mad about uh, Keith Richards and what he said about Metallica. Yeah. So let me just, uh, yeah, this this topic that I researched all week, yeah, it's gone now because yes. here's the thing. Dave is a huge Metallica fan. Yes. Huge. Um, there's actually a great picture of uh, James Hetfield. Was he, he was playing in Toronto? Montreal. Montreal, sorry. Um, and you can see Dave, I wonder if we can like tweet this out or something, but Dave is right there in the front row with his like, you know, doing like the, the, the rock horns, like, the, yeah, the devil, the devil, horns. the devil yes. horns. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not as metal as you. I'm not metal at all, but yeah, you as are metal. No, you're just, you're not, I'm just not, <laughs> but you are a huge Metallica fan. And yes. so Keith Richards said some stuff this past week that have, that have poked you. You, they have poked the Metallica bear over here, poked me and the, the entire Metallica family, the entire metal community as a whole, as we are a giant community. Um, we're supposed to look out for each other, you know? And uh, when people come and attack us, we have to say something about it. So Keith Richards gave an interview to the New York daily news and, um, his ire was not reserved just for metal. He actually went on to say um, that of rap music, what rap did, uh, quote, what rap did that was impressive was to show there are so many tone-deaf people out there. So oh, he, he just attacked everybody in music. Yes, it's pretty interesting. And then of heavy metal, but he said specifically of uh, Metallica and Black Sabbath, Ooh. quote, millions are in love with Metallica and Black Sabbath. I just thought they were great jokes. Ooh. Great jokes. Great. Man, like, I'm just sort of thinking, okay, of all the fan bases to want to, like, poke, mm -hmm. you know, I, I mean, I'm not part of the Metallica army as you are, but I can just sort of guess that if there were fan bases that I would not want to make upset, like, that's going to be one of them. And Black Sabbath, too. Like, those are, those are dedicated, passionate fans. Also because, you know... Let's take it one at a time. Black Sabbath, I would call a contemporary and peer of the Rolling Stones. They're from England, right away. Yeah. Right off the bat, you know, hope you folks knew that out there. Um, you know, Ozzy Osbourne, Tony Iommi, Geezer Butler, these guys are legends. And what they did with their music, I personally, for me, I, there's a lot of talk a lot of times. Okay, is it Led Zeppelin or like Black Sabbath? Who really sort of started the heavy metal genre? For me, I go with Black Sabbath. I think the the tone they created that was just so different and just deep and dark and uh, Ozzy's vocals, unlike anything you'd ever heard before, they are the forefathers. They are, you know, they are metal gods, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> All right? And, you know, what they did on a lot of these songs, and it's funny how, you know, if you listen to it, People, I think, have a, this thought about, oh, it's evil. It's they worship the devil and all that. There are some dark songs that are just, you know, for mood and everything. But if you listen, there's a lot of political stuff. There's a, they got, you know, war pigs. Hello. Basically, essentially about, you know, the Vietnam War and everything. I don't really consider that a joke, Mr. Richards. <laughs> If that is your real name. A lot of his rant just, it really came off as like angry grandpa not liking other people's music. Like, rap music today. Burr, burr, burr. Yes. Like, come which is, on, man. Which is, I'm sure, what some parents were saying to their children in the late 60s about the Rolling Stones. Absolutely. It was a tremendous lack of self-awareness on his part. Like, that he just basically became... 
you know, I imagine what his father was when he was playing rock, you know, yeah. when Keith, little Keith Richards was playing, you know, music that his father didn't like, like it, it they have an album cover where you unzip the front of a man's pants. Indeed. Yeah. Oh, but that's, we're not having fun there, are we, Keith? That's not a joke. That's serious, super <laughs> That's serious, serious music. music. Yeah. Ooh, Ooh, wow. Jinx, owe me a Coke. So, and here's the other thing. Like, not that, not that, you know, not that recorded music sales is the yardstick to appreciate greatness. Right. But it means something. And in the sound scan era, you know, basically when we started tracking record sales, you know, starting in about 1990, um... There, you know, if you if you look at the artists who have sold the most albums in the SoundScan area era, number one is Garth Brooks. Number two is uh, the Beatles. Number three, Metallica. They've sold fifty four million albums in the SoundScan era. Rolling Stones aren't even in the top five. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, you, you, you can if you want to go scoreboard on Keith Richards as a Metallica fan, you certainly can. Oh yes, I want to go scoreboard. Oh, here's another scoreboard: a number of Grammys by Metallica, eight; Rolling Stones, two. Ah, little yeah. But uh, but and really, it should be nine because there's that one with where De- Jethro. Oh, Tull, Jethro Tull. Like, oh yeah, that uh, that that incident, as it's called. Um, yeah. Listen, I am just a huge. Metallica fan. I'm a huge metal fan. To me, the music has been the soundtrack of my life. Ever since I was 10 years old, I've been listening to them. You know, it's been like eight, nine, 19, almost 20 years later now, and this music has kept me going and been so important to me. I'm actually going to go see Metallica next week. No joke. Two, two shows in Quebec City. Um, you out there, if you're a fan and you want to go, I'm very sorry it's been sold out for as soon as they announced it. But I want to go up there and have a good freaking time with uh, some like-minded people and uh, get out a lot of energy and just enjoy the good music. Not a joke, Mr. Richards, but really (laughs) awesome music with, you know, time signature changes and different melodies and harmonies coming in and taking from different uh, eras and styles. I just, I don't get what, why was he, I don't get what he was doing. Yeah. I don't. Um, and I tend to always feel weird whenever I hear people just sort of criticizing other people's tastes in music. Like, even if a music is not my cup of tea, like, music is powerful enough that different styles, different genres, different bands can be really meaningful to the people who listen to them, whether it's Metallica or whether it's, like, freaking Aqua. You know, what, whatever it is, if it means something to you, like, it's just sort of a like sort of a jerk move to just be like, oh, that music sucks. Like, yeah. no, it's kind of it's kind of opinion, man. And you know, I, 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 the listeners out there, you know, you're gonna have varied musical tastes. If you haven't heard Metallica, maybe you're like, oh, I don't know, that's sort of you know, that's ah, that they're screaming and it's too loud and everything like that. Well, one, there's no such thing as too loud, really. My opinion. Go listen to the Master of Puppets album. That is a masterpiece. Absolutely, Master of Puppets masterpiece um, see what they did there we'd love to keep that conversation going um long after this podcast has been released uh feel free to contact us um you can reach us 
um, at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. If you have any emails, maybe we'll read them on the air. If you have questions, we'll answer them on the air. If you want to ask Dave some Metallica questions, I'm sure you'd be happy to answer them, pal, oh, right? I would. And, uh, you know, Keith, if you're listening out there, and we hope you are, <laughs> we can really use you, buddy. I'm not going to lie. I'm guessing he doesn't know how podcasts work. I'm just going to go out on a limb. That's true. But Keith, you can write in and maybe say why it is you think that way. You know, I disagree. I've got a friend in Salt Lake City who disagrees. You know, what are, you, what are, you, what are your thoughts, Keith? Let us know. <laughs> and and this is a, a favor from me and Dave to all of you. Now that we got ourselves up on iTunes, if you could throw us a nice rating, a nice review, those ratings and those reviews kind of help you move up the charts, get you into new and noteworthy status. We kind of want to get this show out there. So if you like what we're doing, please go on to iTunes, rate us, review us. We would very, very much appreciate it. Um, We're going to be right back on the Break the Business podcast with Mary Jennings. Uh, We hope you stick around. Hi, Ryan here from the podcast. If you like the show, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. If you want to reach out to us, shoot us an email at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the Break the Business podcast. She's an independent singer, songwriter, and musician from Nashville, Tennessee. Her music has appeared on the TV programs All My Children and Dance Moms and in the 2011 film Devil's Seed. Her latest album is Metamorphosis, and she is currently on tour and visiting Tennessee, Delaware, Pennsylvania, New York, and Connecticut this month. Ladies and gentlemen, Mary Jennings is on the program. Hi, Mary. Hi. It is a pleasure to have you on mary um for wow an extended applause from the studio audience yeah, that, was, that, was long, that was a very long one we'll have to find a way to shorten that up uh, get you know the, the studio audience has to know we're trying to run an efficient operation here i know we're all happy to see mary jennings but you know we got to get in and out you know think, studio time's expensive yeah, we got to hire someone to whip them into shape that's right you know we got to talk to the warm-up guy before the show they they need to know to keep it nice and tight with the yeah. applause um for those of you who don't know, uh, Mary and I go back a little bit, and even though the first rule of interviewing is to not make it about the interviewer, I'm going to go ahead and make it about me. So, <laughs> so about, I'm going to say five, six years ago, I first moved to New York City, Dave. Yes. Um, and I, I was always from South Florida. I'm a South Florida guy, and safe, it, safe to say when I moved up there for law school, I was the quintessential cliché guy who was lost in new york city you were a rube you had a hat on and a suitcase yeah plaid I, shirt i actually like came off a turnip truck and that's how i got to new york yep. but i was lost I, you know I, you know school was tough it was it was exhausting i you know was still trying to make some friends up there and so like one night a couple weeks into uh starting up in new york city i'm walking through the west village uh-huh. um and believe me folks this does have a point <laughs> I'm walking, through, I'm walking through the rest village, tired, lost, you know, not even sure where I'm going. I'm just going for a walk and just feeling really down, not feeling good. And so all of a sudden, off in the, off in the faint distance, I hear this amazing music. You don't say. It was, I mean, it was, it was just beautiful. I could hear the piano, you know, flowing through the streets of the West Village. And I was just sort of drawn to go in and, and hear what this was. And... Wow. Sure enough, there was Mary Jennings performing in this uh, bar um, in New York City. I can't even remember the name of it, but she was there with some other singer, and the two of them, they just crushed it. They were so good. And after the show was over, I was just like 
hearing her music immediately lifted my spirits. And I went over there. I wanted to introduce myself and thank her for such a great show. And she was selling CDs after the show, as many mm-hmm. you know independent artists do, selling some merch. And I, I introduced myself and I told her I'd love to buy one of her CDs. You know what she said to me, Dave? What'd she say? She said, take it. She gave me the CD for free. <laughs> and like, I mean, I was all ready to pay for it, but she just said, here, take it for free. And um, it was the first nice thing that anyone had ever done for me in New York City. And considering New York City, it was probably the only nice thing anyone's ever done for me in New York City. Um, but I remember that moment. It stuck out for me that night. It was probably the first night that I really felt happy in New York. And it was thanks to Mary Jennings. And since then, once I had graduated from law school, moved back to Miami and like got my first like lawyerly paycheck, I think the first thing I did was like, I bought like everything in her catalog. <laughs> like I bought a ton of her music because I was so grateful for that night. All right. So that's me making it about me, Mary, but really hopefully you kind of saw it as a story about you. But oh, I love that story. Yeah. It's so sweet. Thank you. Since then though, like I've always been a fan of your music and I've always loved to just check in on your career and see how things are going. And now that we have the podcast up, I'm so glad um, you're, you're willing to come on with us. You've always just been so nice um, you, Thank you. <laughs> you, inter- you know, you're willing to be interviewed for the book that uh, that's coming out later this year. Um, mm-hmm. You've never said no. And that's probably at great detriment to your career. But I certainly appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> well, I've always believed in what you were doing, too. So it's it's mutual support and mutual admiration. So it's easy to say yes to stuff like that. Oh, bless your heart, Mary. Uh, before <laughs> we get in to the music <laughs> stuff and we and we'll talk mm-hmm. about your uh, terrific entertainment career. And we'll also play one of your songs later in the interview. Um one of the things that you need to know about Mary Jennings is that she is a horror movie enthusiast. She's seen over 400 films, um, and so the timing is impeccable because, sadly, we just lost Wes Craven. And yeah. I figured, you know, you being the horror movie expert you are, you would uh, appreciate an opportunity to weigh in and tell us a little bit about how that impacted you. You know, it, it was obviously incredibly sad and it, to me, and... Um, I have such fond memories of Wes Craven movies. I mean, I started, it's probably inappropriate for my mom to let me do this, but I started watching scary movies at like seven years old. And cause my mom was such a big fan of them as well. <clears throat> and, um, I remember all of the nightmare on Elm street movies. They were like the ones that I stuck to so much when I was young. Cause they terrified me when I was a kid. And you know, when I watch them back now, even though they're kind of silly, they still kind of freak me out. And I just think that Wes Craven was such a great storyteller Yes, and was, in my opinion, quite innovative. I mean, especially with, not that I don't like the horror movies that are coming out now, but I miss the days of like a really good, scary person. And he brought that with Freddy Krueger and he brought that with like the screen movies and things like that. So, um, and I think, I can't remember the name of it right now, I'm blanking, but there's this, the first scary movie he ever did was one of the most warped films I've ever seen. And it was, uh, I think it was last house on the left, like back from the seventies. It was when he was like still a student. Maybe I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure about that. But that was also just such a messed up movie. And well, I'll see if we can check on that and maybe we'll have an answer in the next segment. Yeah, uh, we'll, I, we'll have I'm our crack sure. research <laughs> staff by which I mean, Dave, uh, look into that. Check it out. <laughs> check I'm it pretty out sure that's us. right. Right it was like on. one that he worked on when he was really young, but he just was so creative and, you know, and then also being able to apply with a lot of his movies, like the Nightmare on Elm Street movies and um, Scream and stuff like that, to be able to apply a little bit of humor 
to break up the scariness of it. I mean, he did it with all the movies. It was just great. I just loved it. So it was definitely a sad day when Wes Craven passed, but I have very fond memories. Um, we're getting, we're getting the confirmation from our crack research staff. Dave, is that the name of the movie? Did she get it right? Yep. Last house, last house on the left from 1972. Yeah. Yeah. So that movie, like he ended up getting a lot of flack for that movie just because it was, it was really a warped concept and it was, it was really dark and really violent for that time period. But that's kind of what I love about it because it was so innovative and so different. Um, and scary as all get out. I mean, that was, that to me is probably one of the scariest movies he ever did. I'm gonna have to go check that one out. It's really, it's terrifying. It's like deliverance scary, if you know what I mean. Oh, well, that's definitely a lot more psychological then. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That's exactly how this one is. Now, so I think, you know, I'm not sure about Ryan, but like me, you know, I, the horror movies I like really actually, I go tend more to the, you know, the 1930s, the universal monster movies and those, oh sure the old school, you know, Dracula, like, you know, it's funny you said scary people to me, Bela Lugosi is just mm-hmm. fits that so perfectly. And there's this one part in Dracula where he just does something with his eyes, even that it's to me, it's just like, wow, that's incredible. Yeah. And just even like, especially with the older movies, the way they're shot and because you're so limited back then, you didn't have all the technology. Like to me, with especially with horror movies, CGI is ruining horror movies for me because it's like, oh, that's just so unbelievably fake. <laughs> Whereas, you know, back back then, especially like if you look at even a movie like Nosferatu, mm-hmm. I mean, that was just straight up makeup. Like that's makeup that is people acting and it's still petrifying. So I'm with you. I like all the old, old school movies, too. I really I liked Hitchcock movies and, and all that as well. But there's to me, there's a place for almost every horror movie so in my brain. Perhaps this might be sort of picking amongst your children, but um, what is your favorite scary that movie? That is absolutely asking me to pick amongst my children. But <laughs> I can say, so there are different categories. There's like my favorite because it scared me to death. There's my favorite because it's so outlandish. There's my favorite because of like when... I saw it in in my past, but I would say that like, if I had to choose just one, which is unfair, I admit, which is completely unfair. (laughs) And I'm offended by the question right now. So, um, I would probably have to say the exorcist. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, it, and I think a lot of that was because of when I saw it in my life and, you know, cause I was still pretty young, but I was like, you know, early teens. And, um, again, it's that whole, this is just makeup. This is not crazy special effects. This is makeup and acting and just a scary concept, which was really impressive to me. Now, Ryan, so. Ryan, what's your favorite horror movie? Uh, the Shining. Okay. Oh, The Shining is so good, too. Dang it. That's so good. <laughs> you going to change your answer on us? Well, no. No. Because no, you're, you're wrong, Ryan. But. I'm just saying that this is what makes it so difficult because The Shining is fantastic. Absolutely. Well, here's, here's a similar question. Maybe this one will not cause you so much uh, cognitive dissonance, but what is a horror movie that you would say is underrated? You know, one that maybe people did not give the, uh, enough... Uh, praise to that you think is really, really good. And maybe you want to turn on some people to watch it. Hmm. That's a tough one. Something that's underrated. Cause a lot of the ones that I really like are, you know, liked by a lot of other people as well. Um, 
That's such a hard question. Like, is, is there kind of like a, you know, one that's, you know, maybe didn't get a, a, a big following. Maybe it didn't do, it wasn't a big one in the box office, but it's one where you're like, oh, this one is good. Uh, well, I'm trying I'm to get really you like... to add to my Netflix queue, basically. I, I'm yeah, too well, lazy to go find these things myself. So, so in the, in terms of like the newer movies and stuff, like that's where you really get into it because I, I'm not crazy about a lot of the newer movies. Sure. But there's one that's out right now that um, I saw before it ever came out in theaters um, because a friend who will, will remain nameless sent me the screener. And um, it was uh, The Babadook. Or I've I think it's just Babadook. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's on Netflix. It didn't ever come out like nationally in theaters. And it is, it's pretty new. And it is absolutely terrifying and. Uh, you find yourself taking on the feelings of the lead female. Like when she gets really exhausted, she's such a good actor that you yourself feel exhausted or when she's really terrified, like you, you take on her emotions. After I finished the movie, I was exhausted. I was like, Oh my God, I need to take a nap. That was just a lot. So I got to see this movie. So I would say the Babadook is just, and it's just like a good story. Like it's a creepy story. It's awesome. I loved it. I almost feel like if I transition into music questions now, I'm not going to get the same amount of enthusiasm out of it. Oh, are you kidding? <laughs> I love music too. It's like, you know, mutual loves. It's like music, obviously I've turned it into a career because I, you know, I love it and I do it. So I have just as much enthusiasm. It's just different. It's just, it's like horror movies are my geek factor. That's what I geek out about a lot. So, well, I think we can mash up the two by saying I think you wrote a song actually inspired yeah. by horror, by uh, by zombies. Yeah. Even is that true? Yes, I have a couple of songs that are inspired by scary movies and, and things like that. But the most recent one is a song called "Home" that was inspired by watching The Walking Dead. Oh, very very cool. Um, yeah. That's a great video. Um, Thank you. So. Let's get let's 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 do some music stuff here. Um, sure. So first thing I want to ask you, just sort of uh, kind of a thirty thousand foot view question: uh, What got you into music? What what drew you into this? And uh, you know, give us sort of a, a short biography uh, that sort of brought you to where you are. How's that for an open ended question? Oh, it yeah. is an open ended question, but it's cool. I think I've got <laughs> the answer for that. That's short and to the point. Nice. Um, basically, you know, when I was really young and growing up, my uh, a lot of the people in my family are musical. And so one of the common denominators in every household that I went uh, to visit was that there was a piano. So if I went to my aunt's house, to my grandparents' house, either set, my dad, like it, to me, a piano in a house was a normal piece of furniture. It wasn't until I went to, you know, got into elementary school and was like visiting friends' houses. And, you know, I would say like, well, where's your piano? It's like, you're missing a sofa. You're missing a <laughs> coffee table. Where is your piano? So I always had a piano and my family was always great and never, they never were like, okay, stay off the piano. So pretty much when I could crawl up on the piano bench by myself was when I started like just playing around on it. And I took some lessons, uh, off and on throughout elementary school. And then again in high school, but nothing that really stuck. Um, my first piano teacher quit on me cause she was like, well, she doesn't practice. So she's, this is a waste of your money. And then, um, you know, I got into voice lessons and stuff in high school. So, and you know, so aside from having a piano in every single 
house. I also spent a lot of time with my uh, paternal grandparents, so my dad's parents. And my grandfather uh, is and was an amazing singer. So whenever we would take long car rides, that's what we did. We sang, and he would harmonize with me until I learned how to do it, and then I harmonized with him. And it was just like practice by having fun. So you grew up around it, and that I was I just grew critical. up around it. Yeah, it was a big deal. My, my dad can, you know, plays piano and plays bass. My grandmother is a piano player. And my mom wasn't ever really musical, but she loved music, so there was constantly music playing in the house. So that's what got me into it. And then when I got into college, I mean, I had been playing and done a couple of shows and stuff. But when I got into college is when I lost my mom, and um, her death was very sudden, which just made me realize, wow, this, you could just go at any time. So I'm going to do exactly what I want with my life and not, you know, just take on some job that I don't like. So that's when I put my full effort into music because I just knew that's what I wanted to do with my whole life. My goodness. Um, and I know you've written before that losing your mom, um, was sort of a, you know, was sort of a help foster some of the more meaningful, powerful songs you created, particularly yes. in the early part of your career? Yes. Well, you know, my, after I lost my mom, uh, I just started writing a ton. Like that was my outlet. Um, you know, some people need to go to therapy. Some people need to, you know, go on long walks or whatever. You could find me in a piano room in my college all the time. Like that's just where I went. If you were looking for me, that's where I was in a piano room. And, um, I was really lucky because the college I went to had these piano practice rooms in the basement of the building I lived in. So I was there constantly. And my dad, the summer after my mom passed, my dad, you know, and I talked and he really encouraged me to do something to work through this loss. So he basically told me, he was like, you know, I can send you to therapy if you want and talk about it. Or, you know, you've been writing all these songs. Maybe you should record an album because then you would have something tangible to look back on all the time and reflect, which was like the coolest, you know, most rad thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> and so I took him up on it and I recorded my first 13 song album that year, which was when I was 19. And, uh, you know, the first two records I ever put out were definitely more like therapy records. They were filled with angst and, um, anger and frustration, but then, you know, also dealing with other aspects of my life, like, you know, love interests and things like that. So it really was therapeutic and great to do that. And then it just kind of stuck and I kept doing it. Well, it created some, it led to some beautiful, beautiful work, Mary. Thank you. Um, and one of the cool things that you've been able to do with your music, um, and it's, it's something that artists, uh, independent artists ask me all the time, how do you do how how do artists do this? And so maybe you can give some insight on it. One of the things you do with a lot of your work is that you you get placements in television shows and in movies. Um, yes. And a lot of artists are interested in doing that. So um, is there any advice you can give to aspiring indie artists um, to help them get their music uh, into this kind of media? Sure. I mean, for the first thing you need to do is watch TV and watch movies and see what's getting placed. Like, what kind of music are they using? I mean, a lot of things use film score kind of stuff, which is not singer-songwriter, but for the shows that do use singer-songwriter stuff, what kinds of songs are they using? 
and find the shows that use your kind of music. Because there's no point in you pitching your music to a show that doesn't use any singer-songwriter music. It's a waste of time. Um, so find the shows to begin with, or even like, like I've done, write for the show. I mean, watching Walking Dead inspired a song that, you know, I, I'm in the process of working really hard to get on the show, you know? So, um, it like, it's just, it's, it's like knowing your demographic too, but just know where your, sh your songs fit and gravitate to those. There are services out there, you know, that help. There's like taxi and broad jam and there's, you know, reverb nation, sonic bids where you can apply and send your music in. The success rate isn't overwhelmingly high, but it's great practice for pitching. And, you know, I've definitely gotten some cool stuff from things like that. And then also there's a lot of um, companies right now because licensing is so heavily sought after. There's a lot of companies that, like, I don't really know how to, what, how to refer to them other than, like, the middleman. So they're the person that connects the music supervisor of a show to the artist, and a lot of times, you know, they'll take a percentage of your placement and things like that. It's just like a company that helps guide your music into the right hands. Um, and so... It, like a plugger? Getting, yes, like a song. Well, yeah, sort of. Um, and so, you know, they, they the different companies have different ways of doing it. You know, sometimes they'll take part of your publishing or sometimes they'll just take part of your sync fee. I hope this is making sense, too. So, like, a sync fee is the one-time fee you would get for placing your song in an advertisement or in a show. It can be, uh, some people don't give any sync fees. Some commercials will pay up to like 50 to $75,000 for a sync fee. Um, but that's a one-time thing. And then you've got your back-end royalties that you make for every time it gets played. So that's through your ASCAP, BMI, CSAC. And um, you know those you'll continually make as long as the show airs. Um, and so a lot of times the song pluggers will take a portion of your publishing in order to make their money, um, mm -hmm. to, to plug it. And that's a great way to just get your foot in the door. Obviously, any way that you can meet music supervisors and get it into their hands is great. But at the end of the day, it's about having the right song to the right music supervisor at exactly the right time that they are looking for songs. Like you, if you land it right on the money, then it's a really awesome big deal. So is there anything you can, uh, that an artist can do to sort of, uh, up their chances with one of these, uh, song plugging organizations? Like, can you, you know, write them extra letters, like, you know, at, you know, take them out to lunch, uh, ask to perform at their office, things like that. Uh, I would say you can do any of those things. Um, I've done all of those. I think it's, <laughs> it's about, it's about building a relationship with these people and, with anything involving music, when you're asking somebody out to like meet you for lunch or to do an in-office performance, it's about pitching that this is good for them too. Like, don't go in there begging, like, I want this for me, 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 me. It's like, listen, I've got this song. If you help me out, you'll make money. So like, how can we make this move forward? Like it's cause it's gotta be that mutual relationship. It can't just be gimme, gimme, gimme. So you know, like one of the, so I've gotten placed on like dance moms and, and all my children and stuff like that. And, um, the company that, um, has hooked me up with those 
Spots is a company called Jingle Punks out of New York. And there are some people that love Jingle Punks and there are some people that don't. I'm one of the people that loves them. I think they're great. And the way I got started with them was, uh, you know, through a friend that had a connection at the offices. I said, you know what? I want to come in. I'm going to do an in-office performance and I'm going to bring champagne and cookies. Who's down? <laughs> and every, they were like, okay. So I came in there with like three or four bottles of champagne, nothing fancy, some uh, cookies and, and stuff, set it up and played for them while they took a break from work and enjoyed this stuff and was able to talk to the people in the office about the songs, which helped them get a deeper understanding of what the songs were about and helped them place them. Uh, I almost, and, uh, sorry, I almost, no, I, I was just saying, I just want to apologize in advance to Jingle Punks because if this episode takes off and you now have 3,500 artists showing up at your door with you know, <laughs> champagne and cookies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, they would probably be like, thanks. Thanks a lot, Mary. You know, we appreciate it. We can always have more champagne and cookies. <laughs> and the fact is they're, they're good guys. I mean, I, I now have like good relationships with a lot of people that are in the office and that's made a difference. Um, and and I like the company too because they're also non-exclusive, so you can work with other companies as well. You know, I work with another uh, company that's um, the woman's name is uh, Paula Savastano. She's amazing, and I met her through going to music conferences. And I would highly recommend that you got to treat your music like a business. And in any other business, people go to conferences. So I would go to music conferences or even film conferences where I run the, the uh, you know, opportunity to run into these people. And uh, with Paula, I actually, this is going to sound so ridiculous, but I, I had like little freebie CDs. And a lot of times at conferences, you'll see, you know, th there will be speakers. And let's say there's like a group of music supervisors that are the speakers and all the listeners are usually musicians. And after that, uh, after they're done, you just see this bum rush of artists rush the tables. Here's my CD. Here's my CD. Here's my CD. <laughs> like, Oh my God, they just got a hundred CDs and they're probably gonna, you're going to get lost in the mix. Sure. So with this one particular situation, I left the CD in the bathroom on the sinks. Like when you go to wash your hands, there were like four Mary Jennings CDs. That's brilliant. <laughs> and, and Paula picked one up and she contacted me. She was like, whoever left the CD in the bathroom, that's genius. Right? Wow. You know, because I went there and I washed my hands and it made me curious as to who's this person that left her CD in the bathroom. So think outside the box. Don't do what everybody else is doing. Do something a little bit different, you know? Well, now at the next major music conference, there's, there's going to be 35 CDs. <laughs> yeah. CDs all over the like, sinks. In the toilets. Like, that's right. Hanging from the ceiling next to the that's soap right. dispenser. That's right. You got it. <laughs> um, so one of the things that I really dig about Mary Jennings, Dave, mm -hmm. um, is what she does with merchandise. Because <laughs> um, many artists, they sell T-shirts, they sell hats, the little buttons with the you know logo on them. Mary makes and sells her own bolo ties. Now, that is different. Right? And, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uses the sales of that to like build a connection with her fans, help her fund her projects. So Mary, tell us a little bit about, about your bolo ties and how you have used um, that particular crafting skill to uh, augment your entertainment operation. Well, I, you know, again, I'm always trying to think outside of the box and I'm, I totally did t-shirts. Like I have done t-shirts, I have done buttons and stickers and flyers. And what it boils down to is I, I, I think internally, like if I'm at a show what am I going to be inclined to buy? 
Is it going to be a $20 t-shirt? Probably not. Like I don't wear band t-shirts every single day. So I'm probably not going to go do that when $20 will go get me, you know, me and my friends, some drinks at the bar, or like I can go get two skirts at H and M. So I was like, well, t-shirts aren't really working for me. And so it, I, I will say that it wasn't really even my idea, but I, um, have always crafted and made jewelry. My mom was a, a jewelry dealer and she made a lot of stuff as well. So I've always done it. And I went to bolo ties because my, my great granddad wore them all the time. And I thought, what an underrated accessory. I love this. So I started making my own just to wear. And I came to New York from Nashville for a show. And my manager at the time, you know, asked about the bolo. And I was like, oh yeah, I made it. He's like, really? That's really cool. I was like, thanks. I've actually made a lot of them. And he said, why don't you make that as part of your merch? And the kind of the way he spun it to me was, you know, it obviously depends on the person, but when you're selling, so you, people want an attachment with you personally. And so you're selling your music, but then if you can also sell your personal style, then that's another way that people can connect with you. Like, Oh, look at this girl up on stage. She's got this awesome bolo tie on. I want to go find a bolo tie. Oh, wait, she is selling them right now. She makes them perfect. I can buy one here. And so that's just kind of how it, it, it spun was that, you know, even though the bolo ties don't directly have anything to do with my music, they have to do with me. And if you're buying into my branding at all, then, you know, that would be a thing. And they, and they're, they were something that I enjoy making them anyway. And they're a low cost thing for me. So when I sell one, I don't have to take the prices up super high to be able to make a little bit of money for it. Unlike sure. t-shirts where like with t-shirts, you're looking at dollars at, at a very bare minimum, a t-shirt more often than not, it's $10 or more a t-shirt. So you got to sell them for a lot. You know, my, my bullet ties don't, don't take that much to make money wise. They take time, but that's it. And, um, you know, I, and when I first did it, I thought this is not going to work because who's going to want to wear a bolo tie other than me. And it turns out a lot of people do. So, well, there is, yeah, there is something to be said for selling your style. Um, there are a couple other indie artists who do that really well too. Um, one that comes to mind is the Portland based, um, duo, the double clicks, Mm-hmm. Um, the double clicks there, uh, you know, their, their fan base is, you know, into like geek culture and things like that. And so sure. the double clicks actually make their own branded Dungeons and Dragons, 20 sided dice. See, and, that's amazing. Right. And their fans love it. Yeah, of course. Um, and I, and I, and, and to me, like if, if I, you know, as, as a fan of an artist, I, I would rather have something that is unique to them than just a t-shirt or a hat or something like that. Yeah, it's neat. It would be neat to know that whatever they're selling is something that the band would also wear. Totally. Or, you know, or play Dungeons I mean, and Dragons with. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I've, there's there's a, a band, and I was actually going to talk to them about this because I think it would be genius, but there is a band that I absolutely adore that I think are still based out of Pennsylvania that are called Love Betty. Of course. They are, they are absolutely amazing. And one of the most distinctive things visually about Love Betty is uh, her hair. She's got this fiery red dyed hair in this awesome like mohawk i think she needs to sell her hair dye like i think she needs to go 
and like get bulk beauty supply of the hair dye that would make your hair look like that, put their sticker on it and say, you want to look like me? Here's the hair dye. I mean, how cool would that be? And it's such a small thing that you can pack up and it makes your table a little bit more unique and a little bit more different. That's a very cool merch idea. Um, yeah, why not? So um, other than what we've talked about with merch and what we've talked about um, with placements, um, what other specific sort of advice, um, if you had to impart you know, one piece of advice to the, you know, the up-and-coming you know, Mary Jenningses out there um, about how to run their career, how to make the most of themselves as an independent artist, what would that advice be? That's an easy one. I've yeah. been saying it for years. Um, don't follow the trends because you'll always be a little bit behind the trend. Do what you do and let the trend find you. Like just be absolutely yourself and eventually what you're doing will become what's in and you'll be on top of the game. That's great. Yeah. Um, and, and that's sort of embodied in, you know, you making bolo ties and, yeah. and, you know, not, you know, giving music supervisors your records the same way as everybody else. Uh, you've mm -hmm. always sort of been your own person and people, and yeah. I think your fans, or I shouldn't say, I think I know your fans admire that. Well, thanks. I hope so. <laughs> And actually, uh, my question is, because you're based right now in Nashville, and I guess usually, or me and think a lot of people, when you think Nashville, you obviously think country music, mm -hmm. but your music is definitely not in that vein. Right. Uh, like, I guess it goes back to what you right now you just said about, you know, not going to the trend and letting the trend find you. How, is that, has that been something where it's, it's a harder slog to get the people in Nashville to sort of recognize you? Um, yes and no. From an industry standpoint, sure, because here is where they're doing like a lot of singer, songwriter, country, folk, Christian rock, Southern rock, that kind of stuff. So from the industry standpoint, I don't do those things. I, I write that music. I co-write that music all the time with people, but I don't personally play it. So if I like went into a record label here in Nashville, they'd probably be like, uh, you're in the wrong city. So from, that, from, from an industry standpoint, yes, it's more difficult here. But from a performance standpoint, it's neat. It's neat to go to an open mic and be the one person that plays piano in the sea full of guitars. It sounds different, and, and people notice that. And people remember, oh, you're the, like, I can't tell you how many times I've gone into a place, you're the girl that plays piano. And, you know, there are plenty of piano players, obviously, here in Nashville, but not as many as the acoustic guitarists. Right. Um, and so, and I still do shows. I don't do, like... I mean, Nashville's a tough city to play shows in anyway, just because the, there's so much going on all the time. And almost everybody here is a musician, so they're trying to work every single night. But um, I still do, like, one show a month and, and do the same thing. Like, what's going to get people to come out to my show versus somebody else's? What can I give away? Or what can I, you know, do, you know, like, what can I wear to be different? Or what can I do stage setup to make this more unique and make people want to come to this show versus the other person's down the street. Right. And actually, uh, Ryan, I'm not sure if you've seen, you know, I, of course you've seen her live probably in New York. Yes. I'm already forgetting. <laughs> I'm forgetting the top of the, of the, the beginning segment. story. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I don't listen to you anymore. Um, but when I checked out uh, your videos online, Mary, uh, I, yeah, you have your piano and you've got, I guess, you know, the looper, the equipment, cause it's, it's just you. Mm -hmm. And that was actually the first thought that popped in my head when you started doing like the beatbox to like lay down. I'm like, Oh, this actually kind of reminds me of almost like a cross between Reggie Watts and Imogen Heap. 
Yeah, I love Image and Heap. So that's like the biggest compliment you could give. Oh, good. Oh. Okay. Well, all right. Yeah. For a second, then I'm like, oh god, I hope I hope this is a good one. No, Boy, no, how awkward totally would it thing. have been? She's like, I hate Image um, and Heap. Image and Heap yeah. is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the total opposite. I absolutely adore her, and she's the reason, honestly, why I got into looping. Well. Not entirely. It was her and a, and actually a local artist here in Nashville named Levi Weaver. Um, I went to an Image and Heap concert. Levi Weaver was opening for her. And he did the looping stuff, and so did she separately. And I was like, whoa, whoa, how are they doing that? I want to do that. That would make my sound so much bigger. I could totally do that. And so I went out and bought a looper like the next week and learned how to use it. So I've been doing it for probably like six, seven years now. That's awesome. Cool. Um I feel like we have teased the audience enough uh, talking about all the cool things that Mary does with her music. Um, let's show an example of it. I guess so, we should. Might yeah. as well. We're going to play, um, and thank you very much for letting us play this song, Mary. This is off of sure. her latest album, Metamorphosis. The song is This Means War. Um, and uh, here it is on the Break the Business podcast. We can't. 
All right, that was Mary Jennings with This Means War off of Metamorphosis. Well done, Mary. Thanks very much for letting us play that. Thank you. Great stuff. Um, Thank you. So tell the people where they can find you, Mary. Websites, Twitter, Facebook. What do you got? Uh, You can find me pretty much anywhere. They will let musicians put their stuff. Um, But the easiest way is to go to my website, which is uh, www.maryjennings.com. And then from there, you can find Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, iTunes, all that good stuff. And it's always a good uh, good time to catch her live. Dave, where is she playing over the next few weeks? Well, uh, on Sunday, September 13, you can catch her at uh, Bobby's Idol Hour in the Nashville area. So, um, Saturday, September 26, the Dewey Beach Music Conference. Sunday, September, tw- September 27, pardon me, <laughs> the Drafting Room in Exton, Pennsylvania. September 28th at the Rockwood Music Hall Stage 2 in New York City. September 30th at the Outer Space in Hamden, Connecticut. October 2nd at the Little Little Italy Baltimore Madinari Arts Festival. Hope I said that right for those people. (laughs) October 7th at the Grange in the Providence, Rhode Island. And also October 10th at the Nashville Symphony Free Day of Music at the Shermerhorn Courtyard. Interesting Mm -hmm. name right there. You're all over the East Coast, Mary. Good stuff. Thanks. I'm trying. That's that is yeah. tremendous. Um, thanks very much again for being on the podcast, Mary. Um, please don't be a stranger. We'd love to have you on again sometime. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank take you very care. much. Um, we'll okay. be back on the Break the Business podcast. Are you an independent artist looking to promote a recent release or crowdfunding campaign? If so, the Break the Business podcast would love to help you out by giving you a shout out on the air. Email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com and tell us about yourself and your project. It won't cost you anything. We're just looking for a way to give back to the artistic community that's given us so much. Again, that's breakthebusiness at gmail.com for a free shout-out. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Oh, Mary Jennings. So awesome. That was a really great interview. She was amazing. Um, thanks again to her for coming on. You know, I was telling her uh, before, um, during the break, um, before we had her on, I tell her all the time that whenever I've asked her for a favor on something, whether it was interviewing her for the book or coming on this podcast or any of the other crazy schemes I've had in mind, she's always said yes to me. Um, she's so nice. And I'm so grateful to her. And she was great today. She had so many great things that... Uh, words of wisdom that mm-hmm. she imparted to indie artists, and we're so grateful to her. And I think the theme uh, between Mary Jennings uh, today and even la- our show last week with uh, Mary Amber, yeah, just do it. Yes. If you're out there and you want to create content and you're an artist, just do it. Yeah. Create, you know? don't wait. Exactly. You know, get it all out there. Um, I think Mary even said it last week, don't be afraid to put something out there. Right. You know, that's the only way you get better. It's the only way you build a fan base. Um, and you heard much of that similar sentiment from Mary Jennings. And I think it's a common thread. These artists become successful because they're prolific content creators and they're fearless and they're willing to try new ideas. I wanted to recap three things because I, I try to find three lessons from each interview. Um, we did this last week with Mary Amber and it was great. And I think we can do it here with uh, with my dear friend, Miss Jennings. Uh, the first one is a very piece of practical advice in terms of song placement. One of the things that she discussed, and I'll go into a little more detail here, is that when you put it, when you get a song in a movie, TV show, commercial, you actually have a potential to get paid in two different ways. 
The first is what's called the sync fee, which is them paying you for the right to synchronize your song and recording into the video of the TV show, movie, or commercial. That's one fee. And for major campaigns, that can be big money. You're talking, you know, $50,000 if you're talking about a major, you know, motion picture, things like that. There's serious money there. For smaller projects, there might be no sync fee, but there's a lot to be had there. Um, And that's a great way for indie artists uh, to not only, you know, make a lot of income right out the gate, but to gain notoriety um, and to become famous. Ingrid Michaelson is a great example of this. She's a big star now, and she first got her start when her music appeared in Grey's Anatomy. And now I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to have an episode of Grey's Anatomy without an Ingrid Michaelson song (laughs) in it. Like, there's some FCC requirement. They'll pull your license. Um, So that's one way artists get paid is with the sync fee. The other one is a separate right of the copyright holder, which is any time that your song is publicly performed, that's an exclusive right of the copyright holder, and you have to compensate the copyright holder for that. And so any time that the song is played on television, um, in movie theaters, those are separate fees um, that have to be paid every single time the song is played. And so now think of a song like I'll Be There For You in Friends every single time. I'll be there for you is played on, you know, any TV station around the country, around the world. That's money in the Rembrandt's pocket. And I mean, as you can imagine over, you know, 20 years of that song being played, um, there's a lot, of, they're making a lot of money there. I want to be honest with you. I didn't even realize it was the Rembrandt's. I just always assumed it was the, the theme song from Friends. Well, how about this? You don't need to know who they are and they don't care who you are because they have so much money yeah. from these public performance royalties. <laughs> so these song placements can make you a lot of money. And one of the things that, you know, Mary brought up is how to get into these, you know, how to get these placements. You work with these companies called song pluggers. They work with music supervisors that, you know, basically, you know, get songs into this type of media. And... One of the things that Mary said is you can't just sort of give your song to one of these companies and just hope that they're going to give it to a music supervisor. Um, A company like Jingle Punks, they have tons of music out there. And so if you want to increase your chances of getting your music into one of these uh, TV shows, movies, or commercials, you have to, you know, find ways to, you know, let your music bubble up to the front, cut through the clutter. And one of the things that Mary did is she went to their offices. She got them champagne and cookies. She took them out to lunch. She volunteered to play their music so that when the time comes, when the dance mom's client came or the All My Children client came, her song is in the top of that song plugger's mind. Oh, yeah, that Mary Jennings girl, the one who brought the champagne. Well, here, why don't you guys try her song out? Um, Great idea. And it worked out very well for her. She's ha- she's yeah. been placed in movies and in television shows. Um, the next thing she said, which I think was interesting, was going to conferences. If you're in the aluminum siding business, frozen foods business, the education business, whatever it is, whatever business you're in, you go to conferences. It's how you network. It's how you build connections. It's how you meet the right people. Musicians need to do that too. You need to, as she said, you need to treat yourself like a business. And business people go to the conferences in their industry. So indie artists go to conferences that'll help you meet the right people um, and make the connections you need to succeed in your career. Um, and the third thing she said, which was pretty cool, was selling your style, um, particularly when it comes to merchandise. You don't feel like you need to sell T-shirts and hats, although you can certainly sell those things. But you know, everybody sells T-shirts and hats. What you're selling is you, your brand, and if if you have a unique fashion sense. If you dye your hair a certain color, if you wear bolo ties on stage, your fans are going to want to feel connected to you and they're going to want to buy a piece of your style, a piece of your culture. And so ask yourself, what is unique about you? 
What is unique about your brand? And how can you find a way to sell that to your fans to build that connection? Um, we talked about Mary with the bolo ties. We talked about the double clicks with the Dungeons and Dragons 20-sided dice because they're into geek culture. Whatever it is, find that unique style and your fans will appreciate the opportunity uh, to basically buy a piece of it off of you. Um, so was there, was there anything else you want to talk about with Mary or I think we have closed that because I think we have an exciting segment coming up here. I think just go to MaryJennings.com. Nailed it. Oh, yeah. you, are, you are a pro. Absolutely. She's going to like give you an extra thank you just for that little website <laughs> plug at the end. But I mean, she, but of course she would thank you anyway because she's just so damn nice. And my favorite song is Metamorphosis. Listen to that. I think that's the LP. Is there, is there a title? Yes, there's a song title called Metamorphosis. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I, um, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm more of into her older music. Oh, um, okay. You know, You're I, not. You know, I'm, a com- you, you, I'm a completist. You don't like the new people hanging around that just got here five minutes ago. <laughs> oh, really? You're here? I didn't see you here last year. Yeah. I, I've been listening to her for like six years now. <laughs> anyway. So one of the things that I want to do with this podcast, I used to do it with my old podcast, is I love game shows. Who doesn't? Um, and I think game shows are always a fun thing to have on the podcast. It doesn't have anything to do with indie artists, but it's fun. It's interesting. You can play along at home. And so I have tasked David to come up with a game show for this podcast. And I don't know what this is. He's been stubborn about giving me any hints or clues about what's happening. Um, all I did for the game show was I you know, got some imaging ready for you, but I don't know anything about it. And so, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what this game show is like? Oh, okay. First of all, what is the title of this game show you've created that we're going to play right now? I'm glad you asked. And it's a doozy. Dave's as yet untitled game show. Um, wait, wait, <laughs> what is that? Well, that's, that's the name. It's just, as that's yet not unti- a name. That's as yet untitled. Well, I can put it in quotes if you want to make it the title. A week ago, I said, Hey Dave, let's do a game show for next week. And you were like, Totally. And I assumed among the things you'd be planning were the title, and the title is not a title. Well, that's your opinion. Um, you know, Dave's as yet untitled game show. I, we'll, we'll work on it. We, I've got, I'm currently got a, a guy uh, trying to come up with something. I got a writer on it. Uh, he's working day and night. Uh, he's had some suggestions, none very good. Um, not as good as Dave's as yet untitled game show. So, but, the, you know, hopefully next week uh, we'll have a, a better title for you folks out there. Okay, so this is a work in progress. This is a work in you progress, know, yes. Who, who am I to besmirch your, your process here? It's frankly offensive. Sorry, sorry. All right, so I got some imaging for you. Let me know okay. if you like this imaging, All okay? Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. No. No? You don't... Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Is is my imaging not worthy of your as yet untitled game show? No, because we we here at Dave's as yet untitled game show expect some quality, and um, <laughs> frankly, your, your canned nonsense uh, does not please us. Oh, I'm so sorry. Okay, anyway, let's let's get into this. I'll explain to you and the listening audience at home uh, what's going on here. Basically, it's essentially. A before and after type game. Oh, I, oh, we used to play this in college all the time. We did. This is used to be a fun thing that we've done. Okay, now over... I'm not mad anymore. Now I'm excited. Okay, good, 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 good. All right. So, for for example, it basically works with you know people, uh, people's names, movie titles. The example, and this is a, a very uh, easy one. You know, this is a movie about a grizzled cop and an adolescent boy taking on magic punks. Okay, so in this, you have to take the two concepts and then. And then push them together into a before and after phrase. And so, grizzled cop, wizard, 
Um, that would be Dirty Harry Potter. Yes. Okay. There all we right. go. And that's that's an easy one, folks. That's that's an easy one. And so the only other thing that we did here, I did for you, Dave, is a um, we you actually recorded this before the show, and I have it plugged into the sound effects board here. Is whenever I get a wrong answer, uh, we're going to hear this wrong. Yes. <laughs> Which you recorded. Yes. Um, <laughs> that is a super super deep cut reference there. Wrong. So that's Dave doing um, John McLaughlin um, of the McLaughlin group. Like there was an old Saturday Night Live sketch where Dana Carvey, God, we'll have to pull up the sketch one day, where yeah. Dana Carvey is like interviewing all the people as John McLaughlin. And then whenever they, whenever he disagreed with them, which was all the time, he would say, wrong. Does anyone out there know what we're talking about right I don't now? know, but it's funny. It's, it's, a, it's a funny sound effect. Wrong. This, this is a moment where I'd love to have like a live uh, phone line to call in to have people say like oh yes i know it's like oh one person all right yeah that's what we strive for here all right so what are the rules uh, how many are there all right i'm gonna give you three okay and the, i guess i have to get two out of three to win yes okay yes all right so I if mean, I, it's my game i could just arbitrarily decide that you lose but we'll, we'll go with that two out of three fair it's you're right it's your game it's your game and so if i'm right you're just gonna say i'm right and if i'm wrong then it's wrong absolutely okay all right here we go all right here we go number one and what I think is an easier one. But okay. We'll Ease me into it. I appreciate that. Yes. Remember, we're working out the kinks. This is the first one. The man now known as Yasin Bey has quite the sweet tooth despite his losing an arm. All right. Give it to me again. The man now known as Yasin Bey has quite the sweet tooth despite his losing an arm. Yasin Bey has quite the sweet tooth this is only two two that I'm connecting together, right? Or is it multiple? It's two names. Okay. Yes. And, okay. Sweet Tooth, despite losing an arm. Um, losing an arm sounds like either like Johnny Tremaine or 127 hours. Uh, okay. Actually, I, all, right, I, 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 all right. I'll, I'll, I'll make it easier for Ryan. Okay. Right all right. Give me a clue. This is not a movie thing. This is now music. This music. Is, this, this is a music related topic. This okay. one here. So, uh, so you give me a category. All right, give it to me one more time. Okay, yes. I'm, I'm, I didn't want to let you squirm out there. Much appreciated. Yeah. The man now known as Yasin Bey has quite the sweet tooth despite his losing an arm. It's quite the sweet tooth. Oh, I'm so sorry. I don't know this one. Most Deaf Leopard. No, no. Wrong. Yep. Most. That's, yeah, yeah Yasin Bey. Most. I can't believe it. I'm so upset with myself. And you Most think you know about Def music. Leopard. That's right. Mm-hmm. The drummer Def Leopard lost his arm. Oh. And Sweet Tooth pour some sugar on me. I thought that was, yeah. you know, going to be. Am it. I. Well, because you had sort of three. Uh, you know what? I'm making excuses. I'm cranking up the excuse machine. But when you have three in there, I sort of got thrown off a little bit. But you're telling me that's the easy one? I think so, but we'll see now. And now, I'll again, I'll, I'll give you a hint here. The, the next two, uh, which you need to get right. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, which I'm, you I'm, know, I'm in trouble to avoid the punishment, which is as yet undetermined. Like the title. Um, <laughs> these are movies now. Okay. Okay. All right. This is the tale of a paranoid taxi driver fighting his tormentors with the aid of a brilliant scientist. Okay. All right. Let's let's hear it one more time. This is the tale of a paranoid taxi driver fighting his tormentors with the aid of a brilliant scientist. Um, paranoid taxi driver. Yeah. Aid of a brilliant scientist. So let's start with the second one. Okay. I'm going to work through this. You know, right. try to work backwards here. Right, so when I think 
eight of the brilliant scientists, and maybe I'm way off here, but the first thing that comes to mind is the movie Tomorrow Never Dies. Um, because I believe that was the one where James Bond works with uh, the brilliant scientist played by Denise Richards, because that's believable. Can you hit the wrong button? No, already? Wrong! All yeah, right. that's the world is not enough. Okay. Can I start? <laughs> Am I still wrong? Yeah. Wrong! Okay. All right. Um... <laughs> All right, yeah, I know, I know, I've already lost, but give it to me one more time. I'm gonna see if I can piece this together. These are tough, man. Well, you know, I expected more out of you, frankly. After I'm years sorry. of doing this, this is this is embarrassing. And I was in such a good mood because you know Mary was so great yeah. as an interviewee, and now I'm just completely falling apart. M- Mary here. can't save you now. True uh, enough. This is the tale of a paranoid taxi driver fighting his tormentors with the aid of a brilliant scientist. Okay, paranoid taxi driver. Um, I mean, it wouldn't be like taxi driver. Um, no, give me some credit. Um, I mean, collateral had a, had a taxi driver in it. Conspiracy theory. Is that a taxi driver? Um, wait, 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 wait. Oh my God. I think it's come to me. I think I got it. Cause I think the now I, I could be, I could be wrong here, but I believe the paranoid taxi driver was conspiracy theory. And if you're talking about a brilliant scientist, it would be Stephen Hawking. So therefore the answer would be conspiracy theory of everything? Yes! Yes! <laughs> oh my goodness, I got one! I, I was so scared. Like, what you, you mentioned it, I'm like, he's, you just said, conspiracy theory, like, wait, is he going to leave this? Is he going to walk right over it and leave it alone? <laughs> oh, yes. these are hard, man! Well, conspiracy theory of everything, a movie about a paranoid taxi driver, mm-hmm. brilliant scientist Stephen Hawking, theory of everything. Now, do you remember the bad guy in conspiracy theory? I do not. Patrick Stewart. Really? Yes. I gotta go watch Conspiracy Theory yes. again. Conspiracy Theory from 1997. That's awesome. I, and I can't help but notice you didn't record any imaging for me being right. All you have is wrong. Yeah, I really didn't think I was going to need the right stuff. Well, you know, maybe, maybe for <laughs> maybe the right stuff. Maybe for that's a dated reference. Maybe for subsequent weeks, maybe you create a "you're right" imaging sound eh, effect. No. I mean, all right, you know what? It's one to one. This is the money ball. I think you said this is the third one's the hardest. Yeah. Okay. All right. I, I got this. I got because this. Because I, I need you, like, <sighs> like, like Mary Jennings leaving the CD in the bathroom. I need you to think outside the box on this one. Okay. Right. All, right. all right. See what I did there? I did. I brought it back. Nice. Much appreciated. Here we go all right. for all the marbles. All right. Things get dark for our heroes in the second act, which now includes time travel and woefully unprepared babysitting. Okay, um, there was a lot of stuff going on there. Yes, was, I'll give it to you again. Time travel, babysitting, but let's go for it again. Things get dark for our heroes in the second act, which now includes time travel and woefully unprepared babysitting. Um, okay, time travel and woefully unprepared babysitting, you said? Yes. Okay, so the the first thing that comes to mind when I think of woefully unprepared babysitting is I come to uh, Adventures in Babysitting. That's like the first thing that sort of comes to mind. Like that was a movie about babysitting, you know, dated reference, um, and that it was just sort of a, a mess. And like, you know, there was, I, I don't remember the movie very well, but I remember it was like babysitting gone wrong. So, by the way, you talking out loud and working all this through, that's great for you. I'm not going to tell you yes or no. No, I, I know, but okay. like, but, but think about this from a <laughs> podcasting standpoint, Dave. What's more interesting, me talking through it out loud or 45 seconds of podcasting silence as I try to piece this together in my head? Don't make me choose. 
<laughs> All right. So, and then, and then you also have something about an adventure. Um, so, well, I didn't say adventure. I said things get dark for our I, heroes I, in the second act, which now includes time travel and woefully unprepared babysitting. I understand, but what I'm saying is like. If we saying if if I mean I'm not saying this is right, but if I'm locking in adventures and babysitting as the second half of my before and after, then I need something with um, adventure at, or adventures as the last. See now I'm already thinking this is falling apart. Oh yeah, I'm gonna. <laughs> Should I be kind to you and tell you you're on the wrong track? Well, it kind of sounds like it already. You know what? Um, I, I I'm 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 so sad. I'm afraid I don't know this one. All right. Don't jump over the table in anger at me. And now, uh, folks at home, I hope you've been able to get this. Things get dark for our heroes in the second act, which now includes time travel and woefully unprepared babysitting. I gave you a really, really hard one. The Empire Strikes Back to the Future Part 3 Men and a Baby. No, that was a three-parter! Yes, it was. Wrong! Wrong! You know, so I've lost. And I feel like this is going to be a regular thing where I lose on this game a lot. I humbly request in the future, if it's a three part before and after, like, how about you let me know? Well, you know, here, time travel. Okay. How many moved out time traveler back to the future? Well, that's interesting. What, what now ends in back? Oh, I don't know. Star Wars, the empire strikes back. Is Star Wars in the news lately? Hmm. I don't know. Is there something <laughs> big going on later this year about Star Wars that maybe it's everywhere? I think so. And then the babysitting part, that one you're going, but now, okay, what's going on? That three men and a baby. I mean, everyone knows that. Everyone knows that. All right. So I have lost this week's installment. I, I, I came close. One out of three. But I lost this week's installment of Dave's As Yet Untitled Game Show. Yes. And, uh, oh, God, that music. Oh, that music. Anyway, and like I said, my, my guy is working hard through the night. I'm thinking about cutting off his water. We're going to get a title for that, buddy. Oh, much appreciated. I, 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 know, you, I know you're right on it. And, uh... Uh, thank you all uh, very, very much for listening to the, for this show. Um, we're going to be on next week, have a new guest. Um, and it has been a pleasure uh, having you on the break, the business podcast. 